morning. I'd like to go ahead and uh, dismiss the children to Children's Church uh, at this time, um, and uh, they can get a, a lesson appropriate to, uh, to their age and, uh, and enjoy that. Um, you may have noticed uh, a difference. Uh, last, uh, last week we had Pastor Jeff from Revive AV, um, so you might see a little difference between us. I shaved, my shirt's tucked in, so a little bit of a difference. Um, and of course, Tim is sitting here in the front row. Uh, they just came back from the Gospel Coalition in a five-state whirlwind tour, whirlwind tour. Um, so uh, he really didn't want to spend his week at the Gospel Coalition hearing great preachers and then working on a sermon for this morning. So we thought we'd give him a little bit of a break. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning uh, as we, uh, we look at Palm Sunday and uh, we look at your son's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Be with us in your word. Speak to us through your scriptures um, to uh, strengthen us in our faith, to edify us, um, and to lift us up. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we're looking at a story. Um, we're going to be looking in the book of Mark. Um, Tim's going to cover this in Luke in a few weeks, so uh, uh, no fair to compare us. Um, this event is actually recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, that's how uh, significant and important this is. This is the first day after the Sabbath of the week that Jesus is going to be crucified. We, we tend to separate them out, but this is the beginning of the week that he knows is going to end with his death. And Jesus of Nazareth rides into Jerusalem on a colt. What does that mean? What's significance about? What is, what's important about him riding a colt into Jerusalem on this particular day? Uh, Jim read for us uh, uh, the, uh, the Mark 11 account in verses uh, 1 and 2 where Jesus explains to the disciples to go into um, the town next to them, probably into, uh, possibly into Bethany or Bethpage. They're in one, going to the other. And um, he sends two disciples, this is just into the village in front of you, the village that's out there, and immediately as you enter, you're going to find a colt tied up. Um, which no one has ever sat on. Untie it and bring it. I love how Jesus reminds the disciples to untie the colt. <laughs> With everything that's going on, he says, don't forget to untie the colt. Uh, now, untying the colt is, is actually what sets up the, the discussion. He says, and if anybody says, you know, if anybody questions you, tell the master has need of it. So it's the, the act of untying the colt that causes people to notice and ask, and they give the answer. And it's just another wonderful demonstration of, of Jesus's um, mastery of everything around him that he said, they're going to say this, you're going to say that, and they're going to let you take the colt. 
And that's exactly what happens. So, um, so they untie the colt, they bring it to him, and they uh, throw their, their coats on top of the colt. So what's the big deal about riding a colt, riding a donkey? So it's the colt of a donkey, not of a horse. To ride a colt of a donkey affirms royalty. In, in, this, in this culture, in this setting, this is, this is a statement of royalty. Riding on a colt that's never been ridden on, he's doing that in light of the law that only animals that have not been used for ordinary purposes were appropriate for sacred um, purposes. And, uh, and that's in Numbers 19, that's in Deuteronomy 21, where God says these things are, are set aside uh, for uh, sacred or holy purposes. So placing the, cult, the cloaks, their coats on the uh, colt, uh, those are signs of, of majesty and royalty also. That's in 2 Kings. This is a sign that the person that's going to be riding on this is, is royal, is, is, um, is majesty, is the king. Um, now, he's riding into Jerusalem, and we kind of look at that and go, so what? He rode into Jerusalem. What's the big deal? You know, catch an Uber from Bethany. It's going to be 20 bucks. You're there. Understand that this is coming in through the East Gate, which is, which is the royal path. Um, everyone, all the pilgrims that are coming into Jerusalem for Passover are expected to walk this final ascent into the city, to go through the Eastern Gate, to walk is what a pilgrim would do. The only people who would ride would be the king. He's making this huge statement. When he rides through the East Gate on a colt that's never been ridden on, on the cloaks of his disciples. Um, so he's going into Jerusalem this way, and this is a, a singularly great moment. Uh, if you have your Bibles, um, go to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, I learned a little trick. I printed everything out, so I'm not standing up here fumbling in front of you. <laughs> so if you don't see me turning pages, that's why I'm not cheating. Um, so Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. Zechariah writes this hundreds of years before. And Jesus fulfills that prophecy completely and exactly. This is a prophecy of the Messiah, and Jesus is here claiming that title of Messiah. There's really no question at this point that he is saying to the public, I am the Christ, the Messiah. So in verses 9 and 10, uh, you can go back to Mark. Um, uh, he says, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What a wonderful picture. It must have been amazing to see this. People are throwing their cloaks in the street, palms. They're cutting branches off trees and laying it before him. And, and they're proclaiming, Hosanna, the coming of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. We, we think of it as a proclamation, but it's a plea. It is save us now. Unfortunately, many wouldn't understand what they're saying. They're just caught up in the moment. There's all this pageantry going on. This is, this is an event that hasn't happened in centuries. And it's happening right now. And, and they're just caught up in the moment. They're saying, Hosanna. Uh, others are extending um, the expression, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's part of the Hallel which is the, the traditional Passover greeting. Uh, that's Psalms uh, 113 to 118. No, we're not going to read five chapters of Psalms today. But uh, this specifically comes out of uh, 118, verses 26 and 27, um, where they say exactly that. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a Passover tradition to, to say this blessing on the pilgrims as they're entering the city. So there's just this joyous moment. There's just this, there's all this noise going on and everybody praising Jesus, riding in on this colt. There's an expectation here. There's an expectation. The king is coming into Jerusalem. Some are expecting Jesus to declare his throne and throw off the Roman oppressors. The time has come. What are they saying? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The kingdom is here. We're getting rid of Rome. Uh, you don't have to go there. First Chronicles 17, uh, verses 11 through 14. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. That was Nathan talking to King David. Nathan was the messenger, he was the prophet, uh, bringing this message from God to David saying, your son is going to sit on your throne forever, and he will be my son, and I will be like a father to him. So Jesus is, is proclaiming his royalty. He is proclaiming he's the rightful heir to the throne of David. Why is he doing this at this moment? He's fulfilling prophecy, certainly. There's... There, there's many, many prophecies about this happening, but he's also claiming his kingdom. He is claiming his kingdom. And where we run into the problem is not everybody knows what that means. It's great to say, he's claiming his kingdom. What does that mean? Some are looking 
He's going to take over Jerusalem. Some are saying he's going to take Israel. Some are saying he's going to take down the Roman Empire. What he's saying is, creation is mine. We're all thinking too small. He chose a time to come into the city when all of Israel would be looking towards Jerusalem. They're looking at Jerusalem, and that's when he says, this is my kingdom. Unfortunately, they're expecting a different type of king. It, it saddens me to think how many stood on the side of the road and shouted, blessed is the coming kingdom of our, of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, and a week later are saying, crucify him. It could be the same people. To stand and shout Hosanna in the highest, just because you shout Hosanna doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Just because you say the words, because you don't know what the words mean. They're proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, as the King, the Savior, but who were they expecting? Who did they think this Jesus really is? What kind of Messiah are they looking for? So here comes a man who, by all rights, is the legitimate king of Israel. He's the son of David. He's, he's, he's descended through that line. He has a right to this. He's not taking anything away that doesn't belong to him. But there's history here. He's come with great power. He's performed incredible, incredible miracles, things that would be impossible for anyone else to do. He's healed many people who would never have otherwise been whole. People who would have had no hope of ever having a whole, healthy body for the rest of their lives. He healed them. He fed thousands of people from almost nothing. Some fish and some pieces of bread. And he fed thousands of people uh, on different occasions. He's raised somebody from the dead. Lazarus lives in Bethany. They would all know this is the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus is standing right here, probably. Surely he has the power to throw off their Gentile oppressors. And King Herod, too. Get rid of that King Herod. I mean, nobody really likes him, but he's got an army. So... Um, for many in the crowd, this is the Messiah they're expecting. He comes into Jerusalem during Passover. This is the time where Israel remembers being delivered out of Egypt. They're looking at him like a Moses. He's going he's to take us out of Egypt. He's going to take us out of our slavery to Rome. They're looking for him to deliver him from Rome, but Jesus is waging a greater war. He's not fighting Rome. He's defeating Satan. He's defeating sin. He's defeating death. But that's not what they wanted. They wanted freedom from Rome. They already had this in their mind. They saw a shift in power from their oppressors to themselves. They would defeat Rome with a little help from their Messiah. We're going to throw off Rome, we're going to be the ones in power, and we all get good government jobs. 
That's what they're seeing. That's what they're expecting. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? The discussion before that has been how some of the people had thought he was possibly Elijah or, or Jeremiah. When Jesus asked the question, he wasn't looking to see how well he's trending. He wasn't looking at, at positioning his brand ideally for strategic market insertion or, or anything else like that. He's asking the question because he's proclaiming who he is. He's not really asking your opinion <laughs> of, of who, who you think he is. He's saying, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells Peter that his father in heaven revealed that to him. This was a moment to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's not all those lesser things that you think. So who do you say he is? Is he simply our provider? We, we do go to him, our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. We, we, we do see him as a provider, but do we see him only as our provider? Do we see him as our path to wealth? There are people standing in pulpits this very morning proclaiming that he is your wealth, your solution to money. He's going to give you money. Is his highest purpose to make us happy? Is he your all-around handyman? Does he come in and, and fix whatever problems you happen to have and be burdened with? I'm afraid many in their hearts decide to follow a Messiah of their own making. They take this little view of, of Christ to take care of my problems and not see who the Messiah is, the promised one, the Christ. A Messiah who isn't a king who rules forever, but they're looking for a servant to their own desires. Is that who you're expecting? Is that who you're looking for on the road into Jerusalem? Is something less than what he says he he is. When Jesus rides in and takes claim of the, the kingship, the title, that he is the head of the domain, why is he doing that? Because in a few days he's going to die for that kingdom. He's coming in to lay claim to it. He says, this is mine, and now I'm going to die for it. That's who we're expecting. So who does Jesus say he is? It, it's really easy to, you know, make stuff up, but let's look at some verses. Go to Mark chapter 14. Uh, so just a few pages past this. Uh, Mark 14, uh, 61 through 62. Start a little bit into 61. Um, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? the Son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a pretty strong statement. 
Do we ever see Jesus kind of shirking away from these titles? <laughs> He's saying, well, sure, maybe. No. He says, I am the Son of Man. And you're going to see me at the right hand of power. Um, if you look over at John 11, uh, 25 and 26, um, talking to uh, the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's quite a promise. That's a huge promise. Maybe we should think about claiming that promise. We talk about claiming this and claiming that out of scripture. Claim this one. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, yeah, do we not, uh, in our church, do we not support multiple paths to, uh, to glory and forgiveness? That's right. <laughs> we don't. Because Jesus doesn't. He says he is the way. He is the the only way to forgiveness, to eternal life, to the Father. There aren't many paths. <laughs> There's one path, and it's Jesus Christ. Who are we expecting? Are we expecting the master, the king, the one who is in control of everything. It's, it's, it's easy, easy, probably too strong of a word, to get this idea that he comes into the city and then from this point forward he's kind of carried along to the cross. He's arrested. He's taken away. He no longer has his freedom. Uh, people are accusing him. People are, are saying things to him. They're beating him. They're flogging him. Uh, pressing a, a crown of thorns onto his head and ultimately hanging him on a cross. They're, they're flogging him as he carries the cross through the streets. There's just this idea that he's just being pulled into this and, and to suffer something. We go to Matthew 20. Go ahead and turn there. It's a little longer, so it might help if you read it. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. <coughs> And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Does that sound like someone who's being carried along by circumstances? Powerless? He knows exactly why he's coming to Jerusalem. He's in control of this, every second of it. And he's coming for you. He is coming up the road. He is going to die on a cross for you, for your sins, for my sins. The Father... God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. 
The Father raised the Son up to life again on the third day to show his victory over that sin, over that death. He defeated sin for you. Is that amazing? Can we say amen? Is that okay? <laughs> In John 5, 39, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. We keep looking for some other explanation, some path, some ritual that we need to do, some work we need to perform. And Jesus says, everything you read is about me. There's over 400 prophecies, appearances, or foreshadowings of Christ in the Old Testament. In the ultimate sense, every verse of Scripture points in one way or another to the promised Messiah. The entire Bible describes the coming of God into human history to establish his righteous kingdom over Satan. When we look at scripture for a different savior, we don't find the true one. When we twist it, when we, when we make assumptions, when we, we turn the Messiah into something that we're comfortable with, that meets our temporary needs, we miss the true Messiah. Jesus is many things. The Son of God is many things. But first, he is the promised one who's come into the world to save us from our sins. Is this the Jesus you're expecting? Is this the Jesus, are, are you expecting a savior? Is this who you're looking for? Do we decide in our hearts to follow a savior of our own design? Do we make someone that we're comfortable with? When we do, we aren't obeying, honoring, or loving God. Because we, we lessen who he is. We want to change him into somebody else. Someone else in the true God. If I walked up to you the first time I met you and declared that you're a goat herder. Does that make you a goat herder? Do you suddenly become, you don't even own goats. I don't know, maybe some of you do. Some of you ones that live out towards the west side, I don't know. But just because I say you're a goat herder doesn't make you a goat herder. How is that different when we meet Christ? Do we say, I've decided who you are? Or do we listen and have him tell us who he is? He's told us a lot. <laughs> we need to listen to that. In, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. I don't know about if he's the foremost or if I am. We might arm wrestle about that. But Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was what he's here for. When we start piling other stuff on top of that, we are in danger of losing that, that 
thought, that concept, that promise that he came into the world to save us from our sin. So who do we expect on Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem? A king? A savior? A provider? A handyman? Who do we see riding in on that colt? Are we standing there saying Hosanna, knowing what that means? Are we pleading with him when we say Hosanna? Or are we just saying it because the crowd says it? Who do you expect on Friday as he dies on a cross? Is this some noble expression of something vague? Is this just a sad ending to a short ministry? Or is this that Savior, that Messiah, that one who has promised since the beginning of history dying for your sins at that moment? Dying for my sins. This wasn't generally. <laughs> this was specific. And and. Jesus being God, he can be specific to each one of us individually. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And it's easy to say the sins of the world and, and make it general. But he died for your sins. Who do we expect on Sunday morning outside the tomb? The stones rolled away. Who do we expect that Jesus to be? What's our expectation? Um, there was a movie a few years ago, The Passion of Christ. Um, it, it's pretty graphic. Um, when we were down in Santa Clarita, one of the theaters invited all church leaders to come and see a, a preview of the, the show. And we went in, and, and I saw a guy two rows down from me, and he comes in. He's got his soda. He's got his nachos. He's got his popcorn. The, the movie ended, and every one of it was untouched. And tears are streaming down his face. It ends with Jesus, spoiler alert, Jesus, big smile on his face and the sun shining on him as he starts to walk out of the tomb. That's not the end. We tend to look at Sunday morning as the end. It's not the end, it's the beginning. When we put that expectation on Christ, Sure, his work on the cross is done, but his reign as king is not done because it will never be done. This is a moment he has all of eternity that he is king of not just Jerusalem, not just Israel, not just the Roman Empire, but all of creation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Palm Sunday shows the world that he is the one who scripture has said will take away the sins of the world. He is the one who will sit on the throne forever. He is the one who will reign over all of creation. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. 
He is our Lord. He is our King. Go to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. This is uh, Peter's uh, great sermon on the day of Pentecost where thousands came to Christ, so I have high hopes for this quotation. Um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know what? That's cool right there. I just thought of this. It's not in my notes or anything. You get mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> you, your children, and for all who are far off, whom the Lord Jesus calls to himself. That's you. <laughs> You're famous. <laughs> he's called us to himself, and he's told us how to achieve eternal life how to have our sins forgiven, how to be right and reconciled with God. And it's through the work that his son did on the cross. That's who we need to be expecting. That who is our Christ, the promised one. Son of God came to suffer and die for your sins. And he gives you the gift of love like the world has never seen. He says he is who he says he is. And he is the one that we're expecting. It's close. Father, thank you for your son that he came and he died for us. And along with that, that he is our king. There is such assurance and rest and peace that Jesus is our king. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.